The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. I'm Dr. Scott Blumenthal. To my immediate right is Dr. Jack Ziegler, and the far right is Dr. Rick Geyer. We're the founders of the Center for Disc Replacement at Texas Back Institute, and we're here to talk about artificial discs this morning, specifically cervical TDR. I'm going to start with Rick. Cervical disc replacement we've talked about for probably 18, 17 years at this point. And at last year's meeting, we started to see kind of a conversation that perhaps it's becoming the gold standard for the treatment of herniated disc in the neck. What do, what do you think about that? Oh, I think it definitely is the case because now we have good 10-year follow-up on multiple disc replacements. And it shows that the rate of uh, adjacent segment surgery is far less. It's about one-third to one-quarter compared to if you have a fusion. So as you said, it is becoming the gold standard. It's not quite there yet, but I think that for the majority of us that are involved with disc replacement, it is very, very close. Jack, do you think it has become the gold standard? Rick says it's not quite there. What do you think? I think it's close also, Scott. I think traditional surgeons were so well trained in ACDF, which has, is such a good operation and it really um, cures all the issues, whether it's alignment or stability or decompression, that it's been hard to get surgeons to move off that into motion technology. But we have all this level one data now that shows that the neurologic improvement is better, that the patient outcomes are at least the same, and that the reoperation rate, as Rick said, is dramatically less if you do an ADR rather than an ACDF. So I think the needle is moving. I think early adopters like us, the needle's already past the point, but I think for most spine surgeons, it's getting closer and closer. And, and, and I think also because of the cervical arthroplasty, our techniques have changed and we are better cervical surgeons. And I think that's why we are seeing the expanded use of disc replacement. For example, patients that had uh, conditions or, or more severe degeneration, we never would have considered to be candidates. And now we're seeing this more and more as time goes on. Well, let's talk about that. Certainly in the past year, we have seen a move towards more degenerative conditions, more multi-level cases, more cases where there's a bit of loss of, of lordosis, not, not a true deformity, but definitely a loss of lordosis. And then we've got some new prostheses that have been introduced in the last year or about to be introduced. Talk, talk about that a little bit, Jack. Yeah, I think we've all gotten more, more comfortable and we've expanded our indications as our techniques have gotten better and as we see the outcomes are better. But with the newer generation of discs, um, the M6 disc, for example, that has some ability to, to absorb shock and also to react in a very physiologic manner, uh, the simplified disc that's going to have terrific imaging characteristics and the newer models in the ProDisc that will address concerns about anatomic fit and less uh, chisel um, imprint into the end plate, I think the adoption is going to uh, be increased. Yeah, and, and I think it's really important to say, because you used kind of a buzzword, expansion of indications. Our data shows that as we've expanded our indications, the complication rate has not gone up. So these are, this is a, uh, a more prudent expansion of indications for the benefit of the patient without you know, creating uh, a new group of complications that we're, that we're really not seeing. I agree. Well, well, the whole issue is trying to restore natural motion rather than take it away. Most of the surgery that we've done as spine surgeon has been reconstructive but now we're actually doing restorative surgery by giving them the motion back and hopefully lessening the chances of 
other issues that have been around because of fusions, for example, more adjacent level disease, allowing the patient to get back to activities faster. So it's been wonderful for the patients. Yeah, and I think in the last year, and um, we can speak to this a little bit more, we, we've paid a little bit more attention in a way to pay less attention to facets and osteopenia, osteoporosis, DEXA scanning. How have we changed our approach in terms of the, the DEXA scan, for example? You've got a, a paper coming up at this meeting. Yeah, that's a study we just did at our Center for Disc Replacement, um, where we looked at patients who had DEXA scans and patients who didn't. And the ones who didn't had no complications related to subsidence or loosening or end plate fracture. And of the several hundred patients who did have DEXA scans, it was less than 1% where that information contributed to changing the operative intent. And in those patients, we would have picked that up just from their medical history. So it looks like we don't need to do preoperative DEXA scanning for cervical arthroplasty. It's a, it's a non-issue. It may be very different in the lumbar spine, but in the yeah. cervical spine, we're safe. And I think the big difference is that we're supporting a seven-pound head in contrast to a trunk with the lumbar spine. So the cervical spine has much less stress on it. And, uh, yeah, and but, but it was a neat study because we did it routinely on everybody. Now we realize that we don't have to do it. Right. And, and again, looking at stresses, comparing lumbar to cervical, how do you approach facet joints? It's certainly something we pay a lot of attention to a lumbar. Cervical, maybe a little bit less? Well, unless they are severely degenerate, Scott, I, I think that we have a lot more leeway with doing the cervical arthroplasty, and you, know, you can get into the grading system of the you know, one through four facet changes. I think we see it much, much less in the cervical spine. Those that have the degenerate facets, you'll see this big, fat, bulbous facet either on the MRI scan or a CT scan, and we don't see that that often for patients we're considering for arthroplasty. And finally, the economics. How do you think that if we're going to a system of diagnosis-based reimbursement, bundled payments. How do you think that'll affect the, the penetration of disc replacement as opposed to fusion in the general spine community? I think it's gonna be easier to bundle payments with an orthoplasty device than it is with a fusion because fusions are very non-standard. Uh, doctors use different implants, different biologics, different structural uh, components to it, whereas with an orthoplasty, it's a fixed number. And it, I think that um, reoperations are the biggest driver of, of negative medical economics and showing a reoperation rate that's three to five times less after an arthroplasty than an ACDF is going to go right to the bottom line as far as helping medical economics. Well, and, if, and what, the other point I was getting at, and, and Rick, maybe you can speak to this, is if, if the reimbursement's the same for a fusion or a disc replacement where, like Jack said, the costs are very controllable, you know what they are. What do you, how do you think that'll affect, again, that move towards I, standard of care for herniated discs? I think it'll increase it in favor of the artificial disc because a lot of people don't do the artificial disc that a spine surgeon because they're so used to doing fusions, they don't have much experience, but when the costs become, or the reimbursement becomes the same, then it becomes an easier argument to say, hey, I'd rather do an artificial disc on you, Jack, because less chance that I'm gonna to have to come back later. Well, I appreciate that. The, the call to action that, that we've always kind of said with cervical art, artificial disc is if you've been told you need a fusion, you ought to at least look into the possibility if, if you are a candidate for disc replacement. And not everybody is. Some people will still need fusions, but you need to speak to a surgeon who does both, who can give you a good balanced view and give you the reasons why you may or may not be a candidate. And, and an arthroplasty surgeon also isn't a one-trick pony. Oh, and you can't be. I mean, you have to still be able to do fusions when appropriate. And we found at our site that 
um, 80% of patients who come in for a cervical artificial disc consult are candidates, but 20% still are better for fusion. So one trick pony is something that no, none of us as a spine surgeon can afford to be. Right. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.